Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Laurel Stark Ackman. Creative director and Pitch 100 superwoman, Laurel has spent 15 years shaping creative, building underdog teams and championing diversity and inclusion alongside several mental health initiatives. As a senior member of the 3% movement, co-founder of the Gender Equality Boosting Next Creative Leader Initiative and co-founder of Our Silent Partner, a creative reflection on mental health, it's no surprise Laurel's work has been called both world-changing and industry-bettering. Laurel says, Believe so fiercely in your own potential that rejections make you say, what's wrong with them instead of what's wrong with me? Welcome to the show, Laurel. Thank you so much. And wow, I feel like I hope I can, um, I hope I can live up to that amazing intro. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Right, seven quickfire questions, Laurel. Mac or PC? Mac. Twitter or TikTok? Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Lombard Street or Castro Street? Castro Street. <laughs> Stick or twist? Oh my gosh, I don't even know what that me- means. Uh Twist, I guess. <laughs> Three more. The Simpsons or The Sims? Oh, I guess I should say The Sims. <laughs> I'm new to it, though, but The Sims. Galentine's Day or Valentine's Day? Galentine's Day. And last one, easy. Victoria Beckham or Victoria Roselli? Oh, Victoria Roselli, hands down. She's such a babe, <laughs> mind wise and beauty wise. Amazing. Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you, Laurel, for uh, for joining us. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'm so, so excited to finally get to chat. I feel like um, we've had such a nice online friendship for the past year. And I just love, I love actually, you know, putting a voice to all the nice emails and tweets. Um, so, so, so nice to, to be in, in conversation with you today. Ah, cool. Thank you. Well, um, to kick things off, we always on Call to Action like to celebrate the roundabout and often quite remarkable routes that guests take in their career. So I know you've mentioned before a non-traditional career path. So can you tell us what was your first ever job and then what was that first proper job in in Adland? Okay, yeah, my first ever job was nannying. I did a lot of nannying growing up because I was the oldest of four kids and then had a lot of neighbors that needed support. So (laughs) my first ever job was watching other people's children. And my first job in advertising was sort of as a intern, but not officially intern at Hal Reine in San Francisco back when we had a Hal Reine in San Francisco. And how, and how did you, how did you end up there? I was still in school at the time. I actually, I, I did go to, um, I did go to school. I went to the Academy of Art University in San Francisco and got my MFA in advertising. You don't need to do that 
to get into advertising. But I think specifically for me with that program, it was great because um, I got to build a portfolio. I got my master's, which you also definitely don't need to work in advertising. Let me caveat that. But it made my two very left or very right-brained parents who work in engineering happy that I was doing that. So that was kind of... um, that was kind of why I ended up in a more traditional advertising program um, instead of just a portfolio school. Yeah, it's nice that you mentioned you don't need to go to uni. You don't necessarily need a master's, but acknowledging the right brain amongst us. You really, really don't. Yeah. Did you did you know that at the time, do you think? Or is that something that you only come to learn retrospectively? You know, I, I think about it now. And obviously, I don't like questioning the paths you're on because I feel like wherever you go, um, however you get there is meant to be your path. And I think especially in a creative field, you know, uh, taking the meandering road, having life experiences, messing up, doing the messy stuff. Like, I feel like that what that's what really makes you a more resilient and interesting person. And, and that all leans really nicely into a creative career. But um, basically the way that I kind of stumbled into this career was – in undergrad, I was going to just a traditional undergrad college. Um, I was studying English and communications, always liked to write. And I was feeling like I didn't want to study and went shopping, which I shouldn't have done, but kind of stumbled across this, um, the Benefit Cosmetics at the cosmetic table. And they were very cheeky. They had like really fun writing, um, amazing kind of branding, packaging. And I'd never actually seen anything like that before. So this was like 2004. um, And it was really newer to the market and then, or newer to the mass market, I think, at that point. And then also just, a new kind of approach. And that super inspired me. So instead of writing the paper that I needed to write, I wrote an ode to benefit and mailed it in. And their PR team actually wrote me back and said, you should go into advertising. So <laughs> that's the first time that I thought, oh, this is a thing I can do. And then when I realized I needed a portfolio, or at least basically needed to be able to show my stuff, I thought, you know, I, I started looking into programs where I could build that, you know, build the portfolio to get into advertising. And so that's sort of the path that I went down for that. So I wonder what would have happened if you'd never had that that encounter with benefit. Yeah, I'd like to think that I would have hopefully wound up in a creative field because I knew I wanted to do something creative. I just didn't know that this was a job. Like I didn't know somebody could pay you to think creatively about business solutions and and that I could write and, and come up with ideas for a living. And I, I still sometimes can't believe people are willing to pay me to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I to be honest, I think it's a common it's a common issue and it's certainly a challenge that that I I think exists, letting young talented thinkers know about this this opportunity and this world to step into but the other point I was going to make is this must be close to I think episode 60 now of, of call to action and I'm yet to talk Congrats. to someone who's oh, thank you I'm yet to talk to someone who, who's taken a even vaguely linear straightforward route into the industry they we all we all seem to go the scenic route and I think that's important yeah, well, I would say like I did do, like I said, I have a, I, so I do have somewhat of a traditional advertising education, I'd say, but I definitely wouldn't say that my path had been, has been anywhere linear or normal in terms of a career just because 
well, I was pretty much, I, I pretty much was just getting into my career when the economic downturn happened um, of 2009. Um, and that really kind of shook things up. I think in San Francisco, two out of every three creatives were out of a job. And so when you're junior and less well-connected, LinkedIn wasn't a thing then, you know, I think even at this point, Twitter was barely a thing. So I hadn't even figured out how to network online yet. It was really hard to keep, keep your, keep your footing. Um, and so it, it was a big hustle to kind of like survive that year, but it really kind of opened my mind to the idea that you could freelance and that freelancing could be a viable, you know, kind of career path. And then after that, you know, just being in the Bay Area um, with all these tech firms, you know, I've done a lot of, I've gone back and forth between um, agency and working in-house at places like Google. I was a part of their brand studio for a while. I worked at the now defunct Agency Inside, which is an award-winning agency attached to Intel, and uh, most recently at TikTok. So there's a lot of opportunities to kind of be creative in a more like tech-forward environment. I've done startup work. I've worked for consultancies like Gensler and Sapient Nitro that have like more of a creative bent. And in a way, like I wasn't really sure what I was doing with my career. I was kind of listening to my heart and jumping into the next opportunity that felt right. But I guess in a way that was a path too. So I, I always am like the people that worry too much about getting the right internship or, oh, I haven't done that yet. Or, oh, I started off in technology. There's no way I can make that leap back into the creative world. Or I haven't worked for a quote unquote really good agency yet. Like none of that, what, whatever you're doing now doesn't determine what you can do tomorrow. And I would even argue that the experiences that you have at different kinds of places make you so much more of a versatile creative thinker. And even though I thought maybe that would work against me, I've really kind of discovered in the last at least handful of years that it's actually something that like sets me, sets me apart and makes me this kind of you know, platform agnostic storyteller who understands how it is to be a uh, client side, who understands how to work with a smaller budget or to jump in and be a part of a different team for a day. Um, so I think there's there's so many opportunities to just listen to your heart and what you're doing today absolutely doesn't mean that you can't do something different tomorrow. That's the great thing about being a creative. You can tell your own story. You can shape what your experience means and then sell that to your next employer, you know? So I think there's a big opportunity there to think outside the box. Yeah, totally. I love that. I love what you're doing today doesn't determine what you need to do tomorrow and what you, what you should do tomorrow. And the, and the truth is, um, understandably, trying to understand what the right move is when you start out in this industry or just in life in general, regardless of, of industry sector and, and career choice, is a huge, huge source of anxiety for so many people. Totally. The understanding what the right thing to do is. But exactly as you say, it's only when you look back, you see you've created a path. But actually at the time, you might feel like you're just thrashing through all this undergrowth <laughs> to create it. It's not necessarily logical. I, I, know, I hate to say this because I don't want people to be turned off by this, but the thrashing in the undergrowth is a big part of being a creative person because you're going to be constantly bumping up against things that you think could be different or 
wondering why the world doesn't work a different way or questioning, you know, the forms that things come in. And that's the way that our brains work. And honestly, like that's a really important, that kind of dissonance is a really important part of driving change and, you know, having that vision to be able to see things a different way and then will them into existence with your creativity. So I don't want people to be afraid of that, but like, I feel like if you're feeling that dissonance or that unsure feeling, it means you're doing it right. Yeah, totally, totally. I hope, I hope people take comfort from that too. I heard a lovely, um, I read a story, it's probably a few years ago now, and it wasn't even about our industry. It was another industry, albeit there were huge parallels. And the point that was being made was that the, the, the trouble with, say, uh, say, the banking sector was that everyone who enters the banking sector has read exactly the same magazines and exactly the same, taken the same courses and learned from the same people. And actually, it's created this kind of cookie cutter, molded people coming fresh into the industry. And what, what the world needs is more creativity and it needs less of the less of that sameness. And I think that's the key point of this relevant here too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and even our industry, which is supposedly all about being disruptive and innovative and creative, like we're stuck, like we're very stuck as an industry. And I think some people are starting to figure that out and kind of as our clients are starting to figure out how to bring creativity into their own, you know, into their own spaces and, you know, we're kind of exploring different models and what that looks like. And also like pushing up against this idea of, you know, inclusion and belonging and what opportunities that creates for our business creatively. I think we're really starting to see that we do need people that think differently. We do need people from diverse backgrounds, not just, you know, different um, ethnic backgrounds and different, you know, sexual orientations, but also different experiences in the world, like people that come from tech. We need that. We need people that come from banking. We need people that were nannies for the first 15 years of their lives. Like this is the kind of stuff that we need. And I think, you know, kind of touching back on what we were talking about in the beginning, like that's why it's so important that we don't discourage people who don't have a portfolio from Miami ad school to apply because we're actively getting in our own way as an industry from the next best thing. If we're not opening ourselves up to people who haven't been formally trained. Well said. Um, your work as per your intro has been called world changing and industry bettering. So I really want to dig into that. And, and there's really so many, I mean, which is testament to you, there's really so many areas we could go straight into, but because it was what first kind of linked us, I do want to talk about your isolated talk and yes. the launch of our silent partner. For, so for any of our listeners who may not have seen your talk, can you explain your journey with mental health and what inspired you to launch our silent partner with with the wonderful Victoria. I know. I love her so much. Yeah, actually. So our silent partner was sort of an idea that I had bouncing around in my head for a while. It wasn't, um, you know, it, it wasn't in its full official glory, the way that Victoria and I kind of brought it to life. But I just had this idea for, for a while that things that we can't see, like how do we visualize them in a way that is, um, that makes them make sense to somebody who's outside of ourselves. And I think especially with the pandemic, 
you know, with the, the pandemic, things were really, really intense, you know, about a year ago, like, you know, late March, April, moving into May. They were intense for me personally. They were intense for our industry. They were intense for the world. Um, and I have actually, you know, I actually have a couple mental health diagnoses. I've struggled with disordered eating since I was 11. I was diagnosed with depression um, and an anxiety disorder at 19. Anx- and, and my eating disorder is a coping mechanism for my anxiety. So I, I would say that that's been a big part of my experience. My mental, like dealing with my mental health has been a part of my life for the majority of my life. Um, even if I didn't know that it was that, that I was dealing with at the time. Um, and I think it's been a big part of my life as a creative person, because I find that like being able to express my words and my feelings really helps me move through, through them. And so, um, thinking a lot about that as my mental health was getting really loud for me, kind of at the beginning of 2020, moving into Q2 of 2020 last year and having connected with Victoria over a piece that she wrote about her own mental health experiences and being a creative, being a young creative dealing with that and kind of also just feeling helpless as we were looking at what was going on in our industry and watching people lose their jobs, watching people kind of struggle with the amount of work that they were taking on, you know, when they weren't being laid off and just really looking for somebody to say something, like looking at the in- industry leaders, like who is going to address this elephant in the room that we are we are struggling? And nobody did. So Victoria and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, well, if we want to start the conversation, maybe it's us that needs to start this conversation. And that was really, really scary for me specifically because I had never – talked about my mental health publicly, especially not in a professional setting. But Victoria's bravery with her article really kind of made me see that if somebody who's, you know, 10, 15 years younger than me um, can have the bravery to do that, that I really needed to step up my game and like, you know, and, and be honest and be vulnerable where I struggled too. So we had this idea that if we could create a portfolio because that's the language that you know obviously our our industry understands portfolios we understand art we're artists if we could take what we're struggling with inside and turn it into art that people could re- uh, react to and then maybe people would start talking because obviously anybody who's paying attention you know that this is a very self-congratulatory industry We love to talk about ourselves, about our work, about work we made, about work we wished we made. We can talk about that till we're blue in the face, but we never talk about mental health. So we thought if we turn our mental health into work, maybe we can get folks talking. And so that was our idea. That's what our silent partner was about, turning our internal struggles into work, into a portfolio of creative work that people could react to and see. And we reached out, you know, internally to kind of folks that we know that had struggled and kind of crowdsourced this portfolio. Both of us contributed to it, um, but we also had contributions from a lot of other creatives at different stages from different diverse backgrounds. Um, And we launched that in May, uh, in May last year for Mental Health uh, Month, just to try and get people talking and to try and make sure that creatives understood that whatever they were going through, they weren't alone and that it was normal and not to have shame around it. I think that was the biggest point that we wanted people to know that they 
weren't, weren't alone, that they shouldn't feel shameful about asking for help. And we also wanted industry leaders to acknowledge that this is something that's that we're all dealing with, but also that it's something that creative people deal with in general. Like there's, there's a really strong tie to neurodiverse people, to creative people having, you know, more of the struggles with their mental health. And that's something that we don't talk about. Um, and it impacts our work and it impacts our creativity. So that's kind of where that came from. Amazing. And and were you were you surprised when you started talking to people how many people had been in a similar situation themselves? Because I, I say this as someone who's, you know, very openly had my own mental health experiences and, and anxiety disorder in the past growing up too. And as I've as I've aged to my withering self, <laughs> I've realized that actually I know few people that don't have a similar tale. And it's and it's only when you start talking about it and listening to others, you can really understand and, and kind of appreciate that. Oh, 100%. And I think, I, I think, yeah, it was just the people that reached out. I mean, I, we did not, do, we did this because we wanted to start a conversation, but we really had no idea how it would be received, what people would think, if anybody would write about it. Obviously, we welcomed the press and the speaking opportunities just so that more people could hear about it and and hopefully, you know, get something out of it. But yeah, the, the stories that came out just outside of the people that contri- that contributed, but the stories that we were hearing, like I had friends texting me saying, thank you so much for doing this. I had a really, I've been really, really struggling and seeing this, you know, made me feel less alone or seeing this like made me realize that this is just a part of my journey as a creative person. And it was, it was this community that kind of popped up around it. That was just really lovely and and unexpected. And I think also, I think just the idea that we, we can talk about this, you know, and that we shouldn't feel shame. Like it's, it's crazy to think I spent so much time worried that, you know, if people found out about how I had struggled that they would think I wasn't capable of doing my job when honestly, like we, like, again, we need people who feel feelings and see the world differently and experience things differently because those are the people that are kind of the canary in the coal mine. Those are the people that can make the change that we need. So yeah, I, I I was totally blown away by the reception of it. And I still am. I'm just really humbled by all the people that are brave enough to keep sharing their stories and normalize this for people. Yeah, well, well, I mean, hats off to, to you both because it's absolutely wonderful. And can I just, can I ask then, what, what's the future for our silent partner? We have a phase two planned um, and we're still kind of working out the partnership aspect of that. Um, but we are actually hoping to get into a toolkit for creative and entrepreneurial people that helps them manage some of the anxiety in a special way. So that's what we're working on now, kind of like a creative, um, we're early, we're early days in that and hoping to kind of solidify the partnership that will enable us to produce that. But we're really looking, I mean, that part is really exciting for us and we have a lot of ideas around it. Um, it's just the production of it that we're trying to figure out at the moment. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that's good to know. Well, it's good to know there's, that it's, that it's evolving. It's not something that's had its time. No, I think there's so many ways to keep growing it. It's just really trying to lean into what feels authentic for me and Victoria and our time and what we feel like we can be best of service in creating. So, 
Well, well done for taking the lead on that too. And and speaking of of, of leaders, I want to talk to you about something else awesome that you've co-founded, which is Next Creative Leaders on behalf of the One Club for Creativity and, and the 3% movement, specifically shining a light on up and coming female creative talent. So again, can you just give us an overview of what Next Creative Leaders is? Absolutely. So Next Creative Leaders is um, a portfolio competition that is run in partnership with the One Club for Creativity and the 3% movement. And what it is for women and non-binary creatives. And it, although it is a portfolio competition, so it is based on creative work that you submit, there's a big part of it that is also about highlighting the, the unique point of view that you as a creative bring to the work and how you've helped shape it. So there's a storytelling aspect of it there. And basically, this was something that I started... Oh, it's 2015 now, so it's hard to believe, but we're going into year seven. We're gearing up to um, launch year seven of the competition. Um, I believe we're going to open in May, so stay tuned for that. But yeah, the, the idea really came from, at the time I was running social media for the 3% movement, and I was working as an ACD with the Google Brand Studio, and because of kind of the nature of who I am and the work that I was doing, I kind of had one foot in creativity, one in tech. And I was also doing a lot of social listening around diversity and inclusion and who is doing what. And this was still kind of early days to the boom of this conversation, which I feel has reached a bit of a fever pitch over the past year and is by no means figured out. But one of the things that I kept on noticing was that Sometimes people, you could tell that the intention was there. Like they were doing programs that, um, you know, bring creativity to underserved youth um, and, you know, having these like portfolio, you know, giving these opportunities to underserved youth who might not even know that creativity was an opportunity for them to have a career. Um, but then also you would look at every time there was an award, the jury after jury was all white men <laughs> that all looked the same, you know, white men with beards and plaid shirts. And anytime that we would start celebrating like the 30 under 30 or any of those, like you might get a sense of who these people were. It was like, oh, women, there's 30 women under 30 that are the best in advertising. And all you would get was kind of a headshot of them, maybe um, a snippet of work that you they had worked on and their title and where they worked. And for me, there was just such a gap there. Like I'm, I'm here, I'm stepping into leadership. I'm an ACD. I'm thinking about becoming a mom in the next few years. And I'm totally devoid of community. And I'm not getting anything back from what the industry is celebrating. Like I'm looking at what we're celebrating, doesn't align with my values. I don't see myself reflected. And I don't know who to look up to. Who, who are my peers? Who do, who, who's doing the work that I could be doing? Who is going through the things that I'm going through? And so I actually reached out to the one club. At the time, um, the person that was running their social media, his name was David Jackson, and just said, hey, I, I think there's an opportunity for us to work together to do something really great. And I'm like, I see that you guys are putting a lot of this great DEI work um, out there. But then I see that you're still like 
missing the mark a bit when it comes to your juries, when it comes to the people that you're celebrating. And I'm like, so I know your heart's in the right place. Maybe the 3% is a good partner for you here. And so he, you know, we came up with this idea for doing next creative leaders and highlighting, you know, up and coming female creative leaders. And the idea was really around giving women the opportunity to reimagine what leadership looked like. So that's how it started. The first year was very scrappy. We pulled it together in six weeks. And now, uh, you know, year seven, the past year, we opened it up. So it's a very global competition. And in addition to doing the top 10 winners, we also um, celebrated 15 global winners as well. Um, And they're all, the stories are just amazing. Not only is the work incredible, which is always super inspiring to look at and judge, but these women and and the non-binary folks that, you know, put themselves forward for this award are completely redefining what leadership looks like. And it's not about a title. It's about how you show up for your beliefs and for the work and for your team and for your clients. And that's been just a really expansive thing for me, you know, to help, to help people that don't normally feel celebrated and, and, and seen and, and giving them a platform to show others what leadership could look like. And so this has been an amazing journey. I can't believe we're seven years in. I can't believe something that was just an idea, you know, became this big thing, but it's a legacy I'm super proud of and super inspired by year after year. Yeah. And so you should be. And I love that you killed the application fee. Oh yeah. We, yes, we don't, there's a few things we've never had the application fee. So uh, a few things about this, sorry, I'm, I know I'm rambling. Um, I could talk about this all day, but no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Next creative leaders, because of kind of my background, when we not for year one, because that was a bit of an anomaly, but when we really started building out the program around next creative leaders, it was really important for us that we made it as inclusive as possible. Um, so it is actually the only award produced by the one club that does not have an application fee. We gear the awards to women and non-binary folks telling their own stories. So that kind of discourages PR people just pushing their darlings forward because it really has to come from the point of view of the creative behind the work. Um, and, you know, no plug and play about whatever real that agency is pushing at that moment. It's really about how they showed up for the work. And that's something that only they can tell. And so, yeah, we really did a lot. We've, we've really worked on our jury, too, to make sure that we have a super diverse and inclusive jury to make sure that, um, you know, the the people that are looking at the work are coming from all these different backgrounds to really make sure that what we deem to be good is coming from like a wide group of folks. And yeah. And then the other thing that's really um, unique to this award is once you win, if you are named a winner, you automatically get asked to be on the jury the next year, which is kind of another thought leadership opportunity. It kind of helps validate you and validate your leadership because that's something that our industry cares a lot about and kind of gives you something to talk about and share on LinkedIn. And the other thing is we um, kind of back to this point is I really wanted to make sure we were telling the stories of the winners so that people could get inspired. And so part of, part of the big award is that we do interviews, um, with the winners. In addition to a panel at the 3% conference, we also interview every, every winner. And so there's like a whole, 
uh, Q&A with them that that gets launched when we launch the winners and people can read about them and read about their stories and read about what it took to make the work and read about who ins- who's inspiring them and hopefully, you know, see themselves in, in the winners and then feel inspired to, you know, apply themselves in the next year or so. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And it's so important, as you say. And in fact, I know you, you've talked about never feeling like you, you, you fit neatly into into one mold. And I suppose there's there's parallels there, isn't there, about that expectation? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I was fully aware of it when I started doing like all these outside projects, but in a way, like they are love letters to myself, you know, and I, I don't know that I, they're, they're a way of kind of creating space for the parts of me that I didn't feel like the industry saw or rewarded or the world, you know, the larger world did. And I I think, I think anytime that you are outside the norm, which is pretty much everyone except for, you know, white says hetero males, like in our industry, anytime you're outside, like you see, you see the ways that you are outside, like it's painfully obvious, but because you see the ways you're outside, you also think a lot about how do I get inside And so I think a lot of the things that I'm drawn to do, the stories I'm drawn to tell are about making space for other people to tell their stories and also like showing a different way that we can move forward, like building the industry that you wish you had. For me, it's like celebrating the leaders I want, I want to celebrate because I know that they're worthy and also because I want to see myself reflected because I believe I'm a leader. And so I think that, I think that you see a lot of times a benefit from having diverse leaders um, and points of view there is that they create space for thinking a different way. And and by doing that, they're opening things up for other people. That's really well put. Really well put. So so can I ask, how did you find your voice, do you think? Or was it just a, a um, I suppose, direct, but also indirect consequence of doing that and helping to create that room for people? I mean, I still, I feel like I'm still finding my voice. Like I, I, hopefully I'm not done yet, you know, as a creative, I, hopefully I'm just getting started, but yeah, I mean, I think honestly, like a big pivot for me or a big, a, a big change for me where I always think about my career is before 3% and after 3%. Um, I'm a completely different person from before I met Kat Gordon and my career is completely different after I met Kat Gordon, because at the time that I went to my first 3% conference in 2013, I was coming out of, honestly, like, it makes me emotional. Like, as soon as I say this, like, I get, I get the feeling in my chest, like, I'm going to cry. It hits me like that every time. But I had gone through a really rough couple years, um, just two toxic work environments back to back. I'd been sexually harassed. I'd been bullied in the workplace by a senior, uh, you know, by an executive creative director. And I had gotten so much feedback about who I am and why I wasn't good enough. And I had really taken that to heart to the point where, you know, I kind of like lost a lot of, you know, stop trusting myself, stop trusting my instincts and, you know, really struggled with um, my confidence a lot. And I I kind of magically finagled away to the 3% conference. And this was kind of at the point where I was already thinking I might leave the industry, but was kind of looking for something to hold on to. And it was the first time that I had this big epiphany that like, 
maybe there's something bigger than me happening here. And maybe it's not that I don't belong. Maybe there's something wrong with the system. And that was such a big epiphany. And the fact that um, that kind of gave me enough courage to stick it out. And then soon after that, you know, I got the opportunity to be a part of Kat's team and to speak at the next conference. And the fact that someone like she believed in me, I had to be like, she's somebody I respect so much. And if she sees something in me that's worth investing in, then maybe I should trust myself that there's something worthy of my investment as well. And that was like such a pivotal thing for me and continues to be that. So I would say that's like the the spark of finding my voice, but I hope that I'm still kind of like every time I lean into something that makes me uncomfortable or I'm scared to say, I know that that's the right direction and I know that I have to say it. Like that's kind of how I listen to my gut there is if it, if it scares me, I got to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's and it's and it's hard to act on that sometimes, isn't it? Oh God, yeah. You can think of so many reasons not to. Like I'm really good at talking myself out of stuff, so I have to be really just good at talking myself into it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and by the way, I, I, no part of me meant that question to be in the past tense. I fully appreciate you. We're all still finding our voice, and we're all still it's onwards and upwards always. Yeah. And I think it's just important. I think also, I wish that I had known this as a creative that I think people think, oh, if I, if I'm a senior creative, then I know what I'm doing. Or, oh, if I get to a creative director, then I'm successful. Or if I win this many awards or hit this accolade, or I get, you know, if I'm business insiders or a Forbes list, and then I know who I am. No, you, there's always, <laughs> there's always more room. And I feel like the whole amazing part of doing this for a job is there's never any right way to do it and there's always room to grow. So I, I, I kind of love that. I love that about this industry is I know that I still have so much to learn all the time. I also think what you just said there actually made me think that when you're a, a senior creative, you're just more experienced at not knowing what you're doing. Yeah. Well, you're able, you're, you also have, I think part of it sometimes is like, you know how to bluster through it better like you might be able to h- ask smarter questions or like hide the things that you don't know better but yeah you you just have more years of messing up <laughs> like that's that's all the way that I think about it oh that's the secret as well as far as i'm concerned i've got a couple of listener questions for you laurel yeah so asking the general public for their opinion be it on brexit or boat names is notoriously fraught with danger but we have two starting with Miranda Miranda asks uh, I read your Rosie report article on shadow work and it totally resonated with me could you explain why more creatives should do shadow work Oh yeah totally I'm so this is such a good question I was one, I was like I I actually was listening to the To Be Magnetic podcast on my way over to film this today. So yes. Anyway, so for those of you who kind of don't know what shadow work is, I've done a ton of shadow work in in the last year and I wrote about it for the Rosie Report. Shadow work is focused on integrating the parts of yourself that you've rejected. And it's something that we start doing as a kid and it has to do with what we feel like lessons we've learned about what parts of ourselves are lovable and how we're going to keep ourselves safe. So if you get feedback, say from your parents around, like, say I was like, say I just 
say I just won my soccer game. And so the next like Easter, I'm telling all my aunts and uncles like, yeah, I won the soccer game. It was so great. I got the last score. And your parents say, Laurel, you really shouldn't be bragging so much, you know? And then I get the idea, oh, in order to be lovable, I can't talk about my successes. And then that gets put in your shadow. So that's just an example of shadow. And they're things that we pick up like through life. And I think as creative people, I believe this so much, the unique special things about us are, that is the magic of who we are. It's the way that we see the world. And that is so unique to who we are as individuals. Like there is not, there are not two creatives that are exactly the same or who would come up with solving things the exactly the same way. It just doesn't happen because the way that we think is based on being in our bodies and experiencing the world around us. So I think if we're going to show up the most authentically as powerful creatives, but also and this is my belief, and maybe my my point of view here is a little skewed, but I believe that there's so much power in creative thinkers and entrepreneurs to really shape the world for the better, not just for our clients, but to start shaping the world better. And if we're going to really do that, we need to be able to come to that with our full, complete, authentic selves intact. But we've gone through life learning to peel those parts of us away that that we feel like are scary. Like for me, mental health was in shadow. You know, I was afraid that if people knew about that, that they wouldn't see me as a leader. And that was something that I really wanted. So I hid that. And then, you know, this was a huge like shadow busting open moment to put, you know, our silent partner out there. But similar things with my sexuality, you know, I came out later in life, I identify as queer and bi. And so working on, you know, Google's pride campaign in 2018 was a huge like epiphany for me around my own sexuality and how I kind of approached the idea of belonging and family through that lens. And so I think it's so important that we all kind of learn to love ourselves and take a look at which parts of ourselves have we hidden, have we learned to hide, and try to incorporate those back into ourselves. One, because it, it's just a way to love yourself so much more. But two, because when you incorporate that into your creativity and into your process, it's super magnetic. Like you, like everything that I've done when I've, when I've actually done something scary and incorporated parts of myself that made me unique and special, those things just take off. Like you find success there. It's like the universe. I sound very woo woo right now, but the universe rewards that. And it's also the work that we need in the world. Like I find that it's like people need that. So that is why I think create if in a nutshell that's why i think creatives need to work on their sh- work on incorporating shadow because uh it's going to make your work better and it's going to make the world better it's going to make you better isn't it how 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 would you recommend are there any quick tips for people who who are you know who that's really kind of turned on and want to explore that that their shadow how how can we do that yeah so um there is that I don't know if you have show notes so that we can link, but there's that there is that article that I wrote for We Are Rosie, which is a has some good resources linked in there. I use the To Be Magnetic program to kind of work through some of my shadow and inner child things. I think that's a great resource. There's also a, a really good book, and I'm forgetting the name of it now, but um, I can send it's it's also linked in that article, but it's something around shadow that but there's so many resources around it that you can find just to kind of get an idea of what shadow is. But yeah, there's 
there's tons and we can, I guess, hopefully we can link those. Yeah, we can. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure that's all in our episode notes. No problem at all. Perfect. Um, And question two is from Joe. Now, I think actually we may have kind of um, given an answer indirectly already to this, but I'll ask it anyway, because there's inevitably going to be other other points to add. But Joe says, what inspired your mentorship matchmaking event? Why do you think mentorship is so important? Do you have any plans for another event? And how can people get involved? So that's technically four questions there, Joe. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we're getting to talk about this. So mentorship matchmaking was um, just this fun idea that um, I had with Tesha Deek, who's an amazing creative director in Los Angeles, who reached out to me randomly, you know, I think after listening to a panel that I wrote was just like, hey, I feel like we should be friends kind of thing. And we're in very similar places in our career. It's amazing that I haven't met her up until this point, but we essentially connected and decided to just have like a, a Zoom call and connected about all the things that we care about and kind of similar places in our career and similar struggles with what we wanted next, you know, for our careers. And it was like this amazing peer mentor showed up out of nowhere for me. And I was like, I needed this so much. And I think, especially in the pandemic, we don't have those, those opportunities to connect with people, like to, to grab a coffee with somebody that you met on LinkedIn or to, um, even like folks that you work with to like, you know, have that water cooler chat or any of those kind of opportunities, no natural opportunities when we're in our, when we're in the same physical space to kind of connect with each other. And I realized, especially like in this case, it was for women, but like how not having community in that way had really made it harder for me to navigate certain things that came up in my career this year. And felt so blessed to have randomly stumbled upon this amazing peer mentor. And we ended up like texting each other through like negotiations and, you know, chatting each other through things that we wanted to share that, that kind of experience of connecting with each other with other folks. And so um, I kind of have a history of celebrating Valentine's Day, as, which is why I said I love Valentine's Day so much. And so we had this idea that we would throw a Valentine's event and we did it on Zoom, but the idea was that people would sign up ahead of time. We opened it to women and non-binary folks because it was Valentine's Day themed. Um, and we actually matched everyone with a peer mentor, an actual mentor, and then like one kind of community-oriented person, someone in like hopefully in a different discipline, but that we thought that they would connect with. Um, and we thought this will be fun. Maybe 30 people will sign up for this. We had over 400 people sign up. <laughs> um, and so we actually held uh, three events um, over that Valentine's Day week. And it was amazing. We had folks show up from around the globe um, and it was overwhelmingly positive and we learned a lot of lessons from it. So for, for, for me, I think the mentorship thing is really important because and I don't think of mentorship as just like how I think of Kat as my mentor or Nancy Vonk or Janet Keston as my mentor who are like senior to me. But I also think of it as peer mentors, like who can you connect with that are in similar places in your career who can talk you through hard stuff or share what it's like to be a new mom going back to work or any of these kind of unique experiences that happen at different times of your life. It's so important because 
one, it creates community and support, but two, it also like, it gives you visibility into what that looks like. And that's so, so important. I think for everybody, but especially for anybody that is in a, in a career path where they're out, you know, where they don't see a lot of themselves reflected. And obviously, you know, traditional mentorship is really important too. But yeah, so for me, it's been really transformative. And that's why I felt like it was worth, you know, creating this program so that other people could have that, even though we can't be physically together. Um, And it was so, so well received that, yes, we are going to be doing more, um, more of these. And specifically, we like the idea of kind of creating community around it. So we're probably going to be doing you know, themed events, um, or where we're kind of like pairing people with similar experiences or similar interests. So stay tuned for that. And you can kind of, you can sign up on, um, mentorshipmatchmaking.com is our, is our, um, site. And we have, uh, like, I think it's on the contact me page, but we have a very simple, um, sign up form where you can sign up to, um, hear about our next event. So do that if you're interested, because we will be doing some of them, hopefully, um, late spring, early summer. Um, we just had a little bit of a lull because um, both Tasha and I are moving into new jobs right now. So we're a little bit busy. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, great. We'll link to that too then. Fantastic. So, but basically we don't have to wait till the 13th of Feb next year. No, no, no. We're hopefully going to, yeah, we'd like to do them, you know, different seasons, different folks. So yeah. And we do want to have opportunity for men to join the party too. So it's not just going to be, you know, for women and non-binary folks moving forward. There will be room for you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> it's good news all around. Perfect. Uh, the final part then of the interview, Laurel, is our four pertinent poses. Starting with what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh man, I, I thought about this a lot, a lot recently because I keep on having this wistful feeling about my friends that I'm meeting on Twitter who are so much younger than me and seem to have their shit so much more together about this than <laughs> I did at their time. But I would just say, don't waste time trying to make yourself more palatable to other people. That would be like my biggest piece of advice because I feel like I waste a lot of time doing that and it never works if they're not going to like you, if they don't want you there, it's, they're never going to. And so no matter how nicely you say it or how you dress or how you don't talk about the fact that you're gay or whatever, like it's never going to work. It's just not that those are not your people, like figure something else out. And so I would say, yeah, just lean into what makes you authentic and don't worry about making yourself palatable for other people. Like that's the biggest, the biggest piece of advice I would give myself. Yeah, that's great advice. Great advice. Number two, if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be and why? This is a this is a hard one. Obviously, my initial thought was all of the isms, like sexism, racism, you know, homophobia, like any of those things. I would love to do that. But since I'm feeling a little sassy today, I'm going to say I would love to ban the the continued hiring and promotion of mediocre white men. I think that we'd be in a much better place if we could do that. Not all men, just mediocre white men. Let's yeah, not yeah, give yeah. them oh, more Christ, credit than they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I like the sassy answer. Number three, Laurel, any books that you can recommend to our listeners? Now, these don't have to be industry books. These can be entirely fictional or otherworldly. 
Yeah. And so I, I was just the two that I'm kind of reading right now. So I would say anybody who's looking to break into advertising, and I know you've probably read a bunch of the books, but I'm going to give a little shout out to Nancy Vonk and Janet Keston because they're lovely, lovely, lovely humans and very dear friends of mine, but they're also brilliant ex-chief creative officers from Ogilvy Toronto. You know them from the Dove Campaign for Real Beauty, Total Badasses, a great book by them for if you're kind of like new to the industry or hoping to break into the industry is Pick Me. Um, And that's written by them. And it's an awesome book. I read it in school. I still kind of like go back to that and read little bits out of it. If you're more seasoned or if you're, um, you know, if you're a more seasoned woman in the industry or, I mean, you don't even have to be super seasoned. They also have another book called Darling you darling, you can't do both and other noise to ignore on your way to the top. And that is not specifically an advertising book, but it's about how to, it's, it's about blowing up the business rules that were made for women and how that can make you successful. I think that's an amazing book and it's a really, it, it's a really easy read. Um, and it, it's from points of view from women leaders in all different industries. So I think that's a good one to look at. I'm also reading again, Herding Tigers by Todd Henry, which is specifically about how to be a better manage, uh, be a better manager to creative people. And it's such a good resource. And then another book, which I think this will be good for anybody, just kind of as we're in COVID right now, Kat Gordon actually gifted me this book. Um, and it's called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. And it's by Catherine May. And um, it's just about shifting your mindset from that like go, go, go kind of point of view that I feel like we all like the hustle thing and why it's so important to care for ourselves and take time to kind of process and grieve and rest. And I think that's just like a really great reminder right now in time, but also something that I think creative people need to incorporate more of. Because if we burn out, like we burn out our creativity and we need to like have that grace and create space for ourselves to keep evolving as people and as creatives. Well, I happen to know that that none of those books have ever come up before. That's quite rare to get a clean sweep. So oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so well played. But they're, they're all fantastic and they'll all be linked to on the um on our listing. So thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and then number four is, is we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow that honor to our guest who has to give the reason why. So would you kindly dedicate this episode? Yes. I am dedicating this episode to my best friend and my daughter's godmother, Nikki Selkin, who is one of the first friends I made in San Francisco and she is an incredible creative, very non-traditional creative and just so good at like every, like she, she started the Emoji Foundation. She's, she is a graduate of Parsons. Like she's insanely talented and just constantly evolve, you know, reinventing herself and constantly like lending inspiration and support to who I am as a creative and a person. And she's just somebody that I feel so lucky to be her friend and so inspired by her because I think she's so multi-talented. You should definitely check her out. Um, NikkiSelkin.com. N-I-K-I Selkin. S-E-L-K-E-N.com. She's amazing. 
And she's also she's also the one that set me up so that I could film this today. So I'm actually filming in her little like studio garage right now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, this episode is very proudly dedicated to Nikki Sulkin, and we we will include a link to her site as well on this listing. Um, and urge our listeners to check it out. Alongside that, we'll include links to everything we've discussed from the all of the books, Pick Me, Darling, You Can't Do Both, Hurting Tigers, uh, Wintering. I didn't catch the full title, but I'll make sure it's right. It's long. <laughs> yeah, it is long. How else can people get more Laurel Stark Ackman? I am, I am, um, so on, I'm very, I'm very active on Twitter, um, I'm Laurel Lou at Laurel Lou, L-A-U-R-E-L-L-U on Twitter. It's also my Instagram handle, but I'm less exciting on Instagram. It's mostly pictures of my kid. <laughs> um, and I've actually recently done a really good job of consolidating all of like my talks and podcasts and, um, and, and personal projects and work um, when I last updated my site. So it's all there if you want to look Check me out. It's uh, laurelstark.com. Perfect. Well, that will all be there on the link. So, Laurel, thank you again for joining us. It's been a real pleasure and I've enjoyed it massively. Me too. This was so nice. I'm, it's, it, it, it really just is so great during COVID to feel like, I feel like I've been on a journey with you for, a, it's a year. It feels longer than that, but <laughs> you're one of the one of the gifts to come out of COVID for me, so it's really nice to be chatting. I've with never you. been called a gift before. Thank you. I'm I'm, I'm not going to totally. cut that bit out. Of course, you're a gift. <laughs> you're absolutely a gift. And um, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share it and review the pod. Keep questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. You can check out CTA Pod on Instagram or just email hello at calltoaction.co. I can't get no call to action. I can't get no call to action. But I try, and I try. 